Hey there, this is Daniel, lead pastor of Christ City, Surrey. I pray that this sermon would be used by God in conjunction with you belonging to a local church. If you're not part of a local church, let me invite you to join us. We gather each Sunday at 16126 93A Avenue in Surrey for worship, word, and sacrament. If you want to be a part of or hear more about what we believe God has called us to, you can visit ChristCityChurch.ca. I hope that what you're about to hear expands your joy and leads you to fall more in love with Jesus. Today's scripture is Exodus 3 verse 1 to 15. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God your father, the God of Abram, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard the cry because of the taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out, out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression, the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to the Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then, God said, then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all the generations. You may be seated. And as you see, let me pray for us once more. So, Heavenly Father, we believe that you have something to say to us in this text this morning. And we want to hear that. We, we want to we hear, we want to, we want to receive, God, whatever it is you want to do in our lives. And so would you create in us a, a posture of humility, of openness? Father, would you please uh, give us a big view of who you are? Help us to to see you as the big God that you are. And help us, Lord, to see ourselves as those who are cared by you. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, I do invite you to open it up to that text, to to Exodus chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some at the Connect table. You're welcome to to borrow. We do also have some Exodus uh, scripture journals. If you want one of those, you want to follow along and make some notes, you can also take one of those and and use them. Uh, I was... um, recently talking to a friend who had just visited someone who had, who had come out of the hospital. This individual who had just come out of the hospital had, had gone through a, a serious stroke. And as a result of that, had suffered some fairly significant memory loss. And so my friend was visiting him in his home, and, and this individual, he, he turned to my friend, he said, I, I need your help. I, I need you to come and visit me, I need you to sit with me, and I need you to tell me who I am. I don't know who I am. In order for for me to be the husband that I'm supposed to be, the the father that I'm supposed to be, the, the member of this church that I'm supposed to be, I need to know who I am, and I need to know what story I belong to. Um. This morning, um, we're continuing our series in the book of Exodus. Last week, we were introduced to Moses, one of the the major characters in this book who who will eventually be used by God to, to lead Israel out of Egypt. Except that, up to this point, God is just in the abstract to Moses. Moses has heard about God, he, he knows about God, but God is merely a concept. In our text, though, this morning, all of that begins to change. This, in many ways, is Moses' conversion story. This is the moment Moses has a personal encounter with God. And therefore, this is not only a story of Moses' life, In a way, this is the story of every Christian's life. Moses here gives us a picture of what it looks like for anyone to encounter the God of the Bible. What anyone and everyone would experience as they meet him. So here's my outline for this morning. In encountering God, we have four things. An unexpected call of an undeserving nature, giving an unnew identity through another mediator. An unexpected call, an undeserving nature, unnew identity, and another mediator. I'm really proud they all sound the same at the beginning, even though they all start with the same word. Anyways, I'm proud of that. First point, an unexpected call. Unexpected call. Here we go. By this time, Moses is 80 years old, okay? 80-year-old Moses, hear this. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. This is verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. When Moses was 40 years old, he 
fled from Pharaoh and, and, and ran away from Egypt. Now he's been in the wilderness for another 40 years. 40 years minding his own business. Moses is not trying to get back to Egypt. Moses is not trying to find God, despite the fact that he once believed God was going to use him to help Israel in Egypt. Despite that reality, Moses is, does not have God at all on his radar. Moses is a washed-up Egyptian royalty who's fallen from grace, who spends his time making sure Fluffy and Dolly, these cute little sheep, have enough green grass to chow on. That's what the former prince of Egypt is doing. And yet, out of the blue, God calls to Moses out of what author Tim Keller calls a paradigm buster. A paradigm buster. A paradigm buster is something that doesn't fit with your previous understanding of reality. So Moses sees a bush. That's on fire. That, that's not a paradigm buster. Uh, bushes can, can, can catch fire and, and burn. What's different, though, what makes this a paradigm buster is that this bush, even though it's on fire, is not consumed. It, 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 it remains. It doesn't wither away. And that doesn't fit with the way Moses thought life was supposed to operate. There's all sorts of paradigm busters that, that can confront us, that can be used by God as a means of calling us to himself. For example, someone in the midst of great suffering and sorrow, who, who it appears has their life crumbling around them, it is all of a sudden, for some reason, filled with joy and confidence. And you go, that, that's not the way I thought it was supposed to work. Or we see a community of people who are incredibly different from one another, and yet who love one another. You see someone who's not living in luxury, who's yet generous and hospitable, and uses their funds to care for others. Another type of paradigm buster is experience success and achievement. And yet for some reason, you still feel empty inside. Or you're, you're doing everything you possibly can. And yet it still feels like things aren't going according to plan. And it doesn't fit with the way you thought things were supposed to be. It's a paradigm buster. And God brings these paradigm busters into our lives that we would ask why, why is this happening, and so that we would actually be drawn to God. God appeared, please hear this, God appeared to Moses in a burning bush, and yet, verse 3 still said, Moses had to turn aside. Verse 3 says, and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight or this strange sight or this unusual sight. He, he could have ignored it. He could have pretended it's an anomaly. He could have decided that he didn't have the time for this. That would mean I've got to go walk all the way over there. I have to leave my sheep behind. I don't really feel up to that. And yet Moses turned aside 
He wondered if maybe there was something more going on. Those who encounter God often didn't start out by looking for him, but they did take the time to investigate the possibility when God might be calling to them. It's an unexpected call. Secondly, of an undeserving nature. Of an undeserving nature. Look at verses 5 and 6. Then he said, this is God now talking, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Uh, fire is interesting and, and intriguing. You, you know this if you've ever had a campfire with children. Because it does not matter if it's the first time or the tenth time, you have to give children the fire talk, right? Walk around the chairs. Do not jump over the fire. Fire, fire it's, 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 it's strange. It has this way of drawing us in. It's amazing. You can sit around a fire and just stare at the flames for hours in silence. There's something captivating about fire. It, it draws us in. And yet at the very same time, fire is incredibly dangerous. It has the power to destroy. Moses is experiencing something of that here. Moses, right, he, he, sees the, he sees the bush on fire, and he doesn't know it's God yet. It's just, it's just, this, just this crazy thing happening. He's going he's to he's investigate, and so he's, he's coming up close, right? If it's me, and I'm seeing a bush that's definitely not consumed, I'm definitely going, I'm going to touch the thing. I'm going to get my hand through the fire, see if it's real, right? He's probably tr coming up close, and, and all of a sudden, God then calls out and goes, take off your Birkenstocks, Moses, you, you, who do you think you are approaching me in those shoes? Take off your sandals. And in the ancient um, Near East, to take off one's shoes was a symbol of respect. And so Moses is, is in already, just in the small form, catching the idea that he's standing, he, he's in the presence probably of someone greater than he is, someone deserving of respect, and then God fills him in and says, you want to know just how great I am? The ground you are standing on is holy ground. Because I'm here, that ground, that just ordinary sand is holy ground. Um, we, we don't use that word holy often in our vocabulary today. That, that word holy has the idea of purity and of separateness. God is pure in the sense that he is without sin. He, there's, he's the, he's a, the existence of, of perfect goodness. He, he's free from all evil. And because he is perfect and, and complete in all beauty, he's separate. He, he's not like us. He, he's separate from humanity, which is evil and sinful. Because God is good and stands for that which is good, 
By necessity, he hates sin and is opposed to that which is evil. Now, please hear me. God is not opposed to humanity in general. God made humans, right? We were created in his image. What he's opposed to is a corruption of our human nature, to the depraved ways where we have opposed God and his good creation. And the result of that, the result of imperfect beings standing before a perfectly holy, separate, magnificent God who is altogether other, is fear. Verse 6 says, And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And so Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. God's holiness endangers us. It ought to consume us and destroy us, for we are sinful. Evil cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. So fearing for his life, Moses looks away. Moses recognizes that he does not deserve to be, in fact, he does not deserve to be in the presence of a holy God. And this is the response of everyone who's actually encountered God. There's this recognition of our inability to work our way, to earn our way into the presence of God. Because he's separate, he's beyond me. He's eternal and all-knowing and all-powerful and he's pure. Because of my own depravity and my own wrongdoing, ultimately what I deserve is not life, but death. In 1654, on November 23rd, Blaise Pascal, the mathematician, the philosopher, the inventor of the calculator, Blaise Pascal had an encounter with God. No one actually knew about this encounter. He didn't tell anyone about it. They found out nine years after his death because they found in one of his coats this little... um, conscious stream of of journaling. He he wrote down on a little piece of paper and he transferred it inside every coat that he wore what had happened when he encountered this God. This is what he says. Let me read it to you. He actually references this event that Moses experienced in the wilderness. He says this. Fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned, Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetness, forgetfulness of this world and everything except God. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I have departed from him. I have forsaken him. The fountain of living water. My God, will you leave me? Let me not be separated from him forever. I left him. I fled him, renounced, crucified. Let me never be separated from him. May I not forget your words. Notice, Pascal says, he starts by saying that this is the God not of the philosophers or the learned. The philosophers believed. Pascal believed that through enough learning, through enough insight, he might actually come up to God, that that he might actually work his way into God's presence and in a way actually become God himself, who is all-knowing. 
And all of a sudden, he realizes there is no way I can climb up to him. Instead, what has to happen is God has to condescend to us. And he recognizes. He says he forsook. He left. He fled. He renounced. And in a way, he was the one who crucified him. And so what he deserved was to be eternally separated from him. And so he pleads out to God, God, don't cut me off. Don't let me be separated from you. And no amount of learning would fix that, he says. A a true encounter with God is marked by humility. In a a way, we we crumble before him. We we melt, we're we're undone, we, we just fall down before him because we recognize we don't deserve to be in the presence of God. We don't deserve any bit of his goodness towards us. We we see a gap between us and God. We we see us on the side of death. We see him on the side of life. And we realize there's nothing we could do to get to the other side. That's That's what it looks like. Every single Christian has had, in a way, that encounter with God. And how do you know if you've had that encounter with God? Well, the answer is you pursue holiness. Now you pursue holiness. You, you begin to love the things that God loves and you hate the things that God hates. It's not that all of a sudden we're perfect, that all of a sudden we don't, we don't sin and that we, we don't struggle with evil. No, we're absolutely flawed. People in process, a process that is, is slower than all of us probably would like. And yet we declare war on that sin. We acknowledge our hatred towards that and we, we fight and push against it because we love the things that God loves and we hate the things he hates. We pursue holiness now because our God is holy. Thirdly, an unexpected call to an undeserving recipient who is given, thirdly, a new identity. A new identity. Let me read from verse 7 onward once more. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold... The cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring out my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I tell to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. 
God calls Moses to, to go to Egypt. He says, Moses, this is my plan. I've, I've heard my people cry out to me. I've seen their suffering and the affliction that they're under. And I want to save them. I want to deliver them. I want you to go. I want you to go back to Egypt and, and, and lead them out. And after digging in his heels a little bit, we'll look at that in just a second, Moses goes, fine, fine. But who, who do I tell the people has sent me? Like, like, what's your name? Who are you? And God says, verse 14, 15, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Uh, unlike the claims of other religions, our God is not an unknowable God. His greatness is not that he is so far removed that we would never be able to know him. That's not what makes him great. What makes him great is that, that although he is a transcendent God, he, he is far and greater and superior than any of us can ever imagine. He is also imminent. He, he comes near. He draws near. His greatness is that his greatness can come down and actually reveal himself to us. That, that's what makes our God great. Uh, our God is a God with a name. And that name, admittedly, is a little bit of a strange one. Um, where it says in verse 15, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord... Anytime we read in our Bible the Lord, or that word Lord, all kind of capitalized, um, that's, um, that's Hebrew, that's, that's their, the Bible's way of communicating that this is the name of God. And, and in Hebrew, it's just four letters. We know it as Yahweh. Yahweh. Now, initially, when the Bible was written in Hebrew, they didn't have vowels. They didn't, they didn't write down vowels. And so all we have is four consonants. Yod, He, Vav, He. Y, H, W, H. And the Israelites, they decided that out of respect for the name of God, they would never pronounce his name. So, as time went on, we actually lost how to pronounce that word, how to pronounce the name of God. We, we, we pronounce it as Yahweh, right? We insert an, an A and an E there, but it could be any other vowels, right? Also, this word is also, this name of God has also been um, translated as Jehovah. That, that would be the same words. Or we, it might be Yohi or Yewa, or we could just be a whole number of different trans, uh, ways of pronouncing it that, that we just aren't aware of. What, what's helpful for us, though, and this is what I want us to see, is that there are English words, um, English transliterations, that have the name of God in them. So, for example, I want us to understand what we mean when we actually use these words. The name Jesus is in Hebrew pronounced Yeshua or Yahoshua. And that, there's two words in there. There's Yah 
and Shua. And Yah is actually just a shortened form of the name of God. So the name Jesus is Yahweh saves. That, that's what Jesus means. The, the same is true of our word hallelujah. The, the name, the word hallelujah is praise hallelujah. Praise Yahweh. Look, when God gives us his name, we understand that God doesn't just call to us. God invites us to call upon him. We worship and praise and trust in a God who has made himself known, a God who has a name. But in the ancient world, names weren't just supposed to sound nice. Names were supposed to have meaning attached to them. In the Lord of the Rings, we're introduced to this ent. An ent is a talking tree for simplicity's sake, and this ent is asked his name. Someone asks an ent and says, what's your name? And the ent responds like this. He says, my name is growing all the time, and I've lived a very long, long time. So my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of the things they belong to. Real names tell you the story of the things they belong to. When Moses is asking God for his name, he's asking God for his story. God, how do you fit into the scheme of life? Where do you rank? Where do you come from? How long have you existed? What's your sphere of influence? And what's God's answer? You want to know my story? Here's my story. I am who I am. I am has sent you to them. Scholars have wrestled with trying to understand the particulars of what this name means. Um, because what God does here is he, in a way, just gives the verb to be. He just says, I am who I am, or it could be translated, I will be, who I will be. Or in a sense, God could just be communicated, I am being itself. Now, I think the context helps us understand what that, what that signifies. So remember, God appears in a bush that's not consumed. Normally, <laughs> again, fire consumes things. It, fire needs fuel. Fire has to consume something in order to to give off light and warmth. But this time, the bush is not consumed. Meaning, when we pair that with the name of God, I think it means this. God is saying, I am self-sufficient. I actually don't need anything to exist. I am being. He's eternally existed. He's not dependent on anything for his existence. And everything that exists, exists because of him. He is the first mover. He is the source and sustainer of all that there is. Everything is possible because of him and through him. I am who I am. And Israel needed to know this because they would have to trust in this God 
to bring them out of slavery. But so did Moses. Moses needed to know that too. Moses, after God tells him to, to go to Egypt, again, he, he digs in his heels and he's wrestling with his identity. Look at verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and, and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Uh, Moses was born a Hebrew, raised as an Egyptian, raised by royalty, raised as royalty, raised in Egypt, but then who leaves Egypt, grows up in the wilderness, and ends up feeding sheep. And all of a sudden, Moses is trying to understand, who am I? Who, who am I who, who fits into all of this? Who, who am I that I should go back to Pharaoh and lead these people out of Egypt? Oh, how far I've fallen. And God's response is, I'm actually not so interested with who you are. You need to know that I will be with you. I am with you. The I am is with you. That, that's what should matter most. One of our constant pressures is trying to form an identity for ourselves. We, we assign these labels to our lives um, based on either who we once were, who we currently are, or who we hope to one day be. And, and we do this. We, 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 for example, I, I am, Daniel, I am an athletic person. I, I'm a husband. I'm a foodie. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm a dad of four. I'm, I'm a dad who's trying to resist my growing dad bod because despite being an athletic person, I like food. It's, it's complicated. Um, but we, we give these labels to ourselves, right? I, I'm, a, I'm a boss. I'm a friendly person. I'm a wealthy person. I'm content. I'm healthy. I'm hardworking. I'm, I'm resilient. And, and the reason we, we try to assign these labels to ourselves, we, we form an identity for ourselves, is we think it gives meaning to what I do. All of a sudden, my, my actions carry greater weight and, and purpose to them. We give ourselves worth. My identity differentiates me from someone else, and it places me in a category above other people. It gives me worth. It tells me who I belong to, what circles I can run in, who, who can I associate with. It tells me what I can accomplish. It helps me, what I, helps me understand what I can or, or cannot achieve. The problem, though, with creating our own identity is we become enslaved to it. If I'm the one who has to make my identity, if I'm the one who has to choose my identity, then I'm the one who also has to keep my identity. And so all of a sudden, we, we, we step into the rest of life afraid, afraid to lose the thing we've made ourselves out to be, and all of a sudden, we grab a hold of life, we're, we white-knuckle life, and everything is a threat. Right? Don't, don't you dare take this thing away from me that I've worked so hard to build for myself. Because it can be taken away, we shouldn't form it for ourselves. The prince of Egypt can become a shepherd. And so God comes to Moses and says, how about instead I give you an identity? Let me define your worth. Let me define who you are and who you belong to and what you can accomplish in life. God says, 
Verse 12, I will be with you. Let the fact that I am actually with you, that God dwells with you, be your new identity. You'll be mine. You belong to the I am. I'm the one who gives life. You belong to the king of kings. You'll be loved by the creator of heaven and earth. Let that be your identity. And this identity, because I'm the great I am, and I don't need anything to exist, can never be taken away from you. I'm not dependent on your successes or failures, the things done to you or the things done by you. Even your own sin cannot take me away from you because I'm the I am. If God is with you, just as he was with Moses, then this changes everything about our lives. Um, let me give you this, this picture from, from Tim Chester. Tim Chester, uh, uh, author in the UK, he talks about it this way. This is, I think, a helpful picture for us. He says, imagine you pull up to Buckingham Palace and you, you, you walk up to the front, you, you knock on the door, or you, I don't know, you try to you get past those guards that don't move and everyone makes fun of, whatever it is. You, you get up to Buckingham Palace and you go, hey, I'd like to come inside. I, I, like to, I like to go see the queen and I'd like to have a look around the palace. Can you just, can you just let me in? Obviously, they would go, no, you're not welcome here. Sorry, the queen's busy. They don't have time for you. Please go away. Go outside and go take some more pictures. Now, what about Kate Middleton? When Kate Middleton was 15 years old, if she would have walk in, walked up to Buckingham Palace, they would have told her the same thing. But then she has a new identity. Then she was given a new identity. Her new name is... Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Cambridge. And now all she has to do is walk up to the palace and go, I'm with him. I'm with the prince. I'm actually royalty now. Please let me in. And open wide the doors. That, that's what happens when we are given identity from God we all of a sudden are with him. And we're given access into areas that were formerly restricted. We're given the ability to accomplish things that we had no right doing. We are with the I am. And that changes everything about our lives. Lastly, we see another mediator, another mediator. The biggest question still in this text is this. How can evil Moses, sinful Moses, still be with God. We just said at the beginning, evil and perfect holiness do not mix. In fact, Moses should die in the presence of God. How is it that he stands there on holy ground and is not also consumed? Here, here's the answer. The answer is this angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. Look at verse 2. I'll actually start in verse 1. So Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Verse 2, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. 
So throughout the Bible, we have instances of angels appearing to people. But we get a hint here that this angel is not like all the other angels because we read this in verse 3. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God, called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. So the question is, which one is it? Is it the angel of the Lord or is it the Lord? Is it the angel of the Lord or is it God calling out to Moses from the bush? The answer is, it's both. Through the angel, the Lord appeared. The angel, the angel of the Lord is this mediator, this messenger. He's the one who's standing between Moses and God, the one preventing Moses from being destroyed, and that very person is God. In Exodus chapter 33, um, the angel of the Lord will appear again. So Moses is having a conversation with God. Moses goes, hey, God, you got to go with us. If we're going to head on out from here, you, you better come with us. And God tells Moses, man, this people that you're with, these Israelites, man, I've just rescued them from slavery in Egypt. They're still so broken. Man, what do you, they're a stiff-necked people. They're a sinful people. If, if I go with them, they'll be consumed. And so God goes, okay, you know what, though, Moses? I'll send the angel of the Lord with you. And Moses goes, okay. L listen to the way um, Alec Matir puts it. He says this. The angel is not a created angel. He is Yahweh himself in manifestation. Identical with Yahweh, although also different. In 33, 1-2, the angel is revealed as the merciful accommodation or condescension of God, whereby the Lord can be present among a sinful people when, were he to go with them himself, his presence would consume them. We can put it this way. The angel suffers no reduction or adjustment of his full deity, yet he is the mode of deity whereby the holy God can keep company with sinners. Many years later, the angel of the Lord would appear again. This time, he would appear in the person of Jesus. In John chapter 8, Jesus gets into a heated discussion with some of the religious rulers. It's heated because they approach Jesus and they're like, so Jesus, look, we know you have a demon. Just confess. We know it. And Jesus goes, hold on. I'm the, the furthest thing from a demon. Man, I'm here to bring life, not death. And then, and then Jesus says this right at the very end. He says, Jesus said to them, John 8, 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Which grammatically makes no sense. So Jesus isn't making a grammatical point. He's making a theological point. Jesus is trying to communicate that he is the angel that was in the burning bush. He is the I am who appeared to Moses. He is the eternally existent one. Let me again, listen to Motir again. He says, Jesus is the only other in the Bible who is both identical with yet distinct from the Lord. One who without abandoning the full essence and prerogatives of deity or diminishing the divine holiness is able to accommodate himself to the company of sinners, and who, while affirming the wrath of God, is yet its supreme display of his outreaching mercy. 
Why can God give life and not destroy? Why can we be with God? Why can God be with us and we not be consumed? Because Jesus was destroyed. Because Jesus was consumed. Because he died and he was separated from the love of God. And because he paid the penalty for our sin, that debt's been paid. God now credits us with holiness and righteousness, and so we can now be in his presence. What, what does it look like to encounter God? It looks like responding to his call. It looks like humbling ourselves before him. It looks like receiving a new identity, and it looks like doing all of that through Jesus. We come to know God by trusting in Jesus and what he's done in our place. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the price that he paid on our behalf. Father, I pray that we would believe it's better to be given an identity by you than to form our own. Would we trust, believe, Hold, hold close and operate out of the fact, Lord, that you've said, I'm with him. I'm with him. I'm with her. Wherever she goes, wherever he goes, they're mine. And they belong to me. Lord, would that fill us with joy and wonder for your glory, we pray. Amen.